there. Is that better? Okay. All right. Um, we're going to build off of what Pastor Justin was sharing with us last week, continuing through the series. Um, so if you will, turn your attention to, we're going to break it up. There's, there's a lot to cover today in one chapter. So we could spend weeks in just this one chapter, but there's a lot to cover. So if you would, turn your attention to verses 1 through 9. Let's read verses 1 through 9 in 1 Kings chapter 2. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, you also know that Joab, the son of Zeruah, uh, did to me and how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in time of peace for blood that, he, that had been shed in war, and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on his sandals on his feet. Act, therefore, according to your wisdom." But do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace. But deal loyally with the sons of Barzalia, the Gilead. And let them be among those who eat at your table. For with such loyalty they met me when I fled from Absalom your brother. And there is also with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, <clears throat> who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Mahaniam. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, this is going to be really important, so pay close attention. I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him, you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. Let's pray and we'll get right into it. Father, I just ask you to give me the words to speak. Help us to see what it is that you would like us to see in your word today. Perhaps even, Lord, today's message will bring a level of comfort, a level of refreshment. It could be the launching pad for healing in the life of people. Father, ultimately our goal is that you would be glorified through the proclamation of your word. And so may you give me the power and the ability to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we have Solomon. He's being established on the throne of Israel. David is dying. He's getting ready to die and before he dies he he has some parting words of wisdom now if any of you have ever been to any uh baptist men's getaways and things like that you've heard the this verse a hundred times the whole be a man and man up and follow god and we we've we've heard that passage this is actually a very familiar passage and so david is telling solomon here be strong and show yourself a man David understands that the next years of his life he's going to spend defending the throne that he has because that's what David did for his 40 years. He spent plenty of time defending and, and maintaining the Davidic throne, right? Now, Solomon's going to have to show strength. He's going to have to make some manly decisions. Solomon would have to make 
what we would call difficult decisions. And he is, though the wisest person known in human history, he is still a sinner and he is still a man. And so David says to him, you're not going to be able to do this if you don't keep the Lord's commands. This is not going to be a task that's going to go well if you don't follow the Lord in this. And, and, and you can almost hear a little bit of his regret in there where there were times that he wasn't exactly doing as the Lord would have been proud of him. But the overarching goal today is that we remember this. God uses imperfect leaders to complete His perfect will. And so this is something that, that can bring pain when we have imperfect leaders. And there is not a perfect leader on the planet, by the way. Deuteronomy 17 says, and David is, is referring to this. David is saying he, he's going back and he's, he's sort of almost evidencing that, hey, I haven't just dropped this on you. Let, let, me, give you, let me give you some words here. Deuteronomy 17 says, And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read, it, uh, read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted above his brothers. He's saying, don't get above your raisin, right? There's a good country saying and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So here, uh, David is reminding Israel's king's not above the law. Actually, Israel's king should be the number one law follower. He should be the example. He's to be a model law keeper. So military might, economic successes, all of that thing pales in comparison, David is saying to Solomon. It would ultimately be a failure if you don't obey the law. Now interestingly, we're going to see here in just a little bit that even in David's parting wisdom here, there's a little bit of his sin nature that comes to the surface. There's a little bit of his uh, trickery, if, you, if you'll say. So like in Deuteronomy 17, David connected this endurance for Solomon and his sons as rulers over Israel because David also knows that there's coming a day that Solomon's going to have to give this same speech. He, he knows that, that Solomon is going to die and he's going to have someone who succeeds him because he ultimately believes in the Davidic promise. So he knows that the kingdom will stay in his lineage. So David has this parting wisdom. And he says to him, this is going to require you man up. Okay. So this may strike us odd since we know from 2 Samuel that, that, that the Davidic covenant, it, at least at first glance, is, is unconditional. We, we know. So, so, so why is David so adamant to be sure that this stays in his lineage? Does he truly believe that God's going to keep this in his family line? Of course he does. So after all, the Lord tells David that he's never going to take the throne from David's family. and He would establish ultimately the king that Justin introduced us to last week as the perfect king, King Jesus But what we understand and what we sometimes speak of when we think of this unconditional covenant, it doesn't mean that, that, that humans are passive in it. It doesn't mean that, that, that we just sit by and do nothing. And there is a sense of requirement on the behalf of the, of the covenant keepers that they would follow the law. That they would be in the Word, as we just read from Deuteronomy 17. That, that 
you should have a copy of it and you should read it every day. You should be in the Word every day. So David is setting Solomon up, passing on to him the way that he should lead. And then he asks some things of him. He, he reminds him of some things. Now, there's some commentators that say uh, you know, that Solomon actually sort of was leading right before David passed. That there was a shadowing, if you would. And he's now reminding him of some of the things that were going to take place. They believe that he, he may be uh, and that wouldn't that, that certainly would have fit sort of the ancient Near East custom of co-regency prior to uh, a king departing. But did Paul did David do that perfectly? No. Did God's perfect will get completed? Yes. So David passes the torch to Solomon and he, he, he says to him, there's some things, there's some people that I need you to deal with. And we're going to look at particularly those the three of these people today. There's some people I need you to deal with. So we see that David passes. The very next verse, if you were to keep reading where we read verses 1-9, through nine, verse 10. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. So, David has passed and he has left some words of wisdom with Solomon. And the first threat that Solomon has to address, Pastor Justin did a beautiful job of setting us up for that last week. So, so I don't have to go into it and explain the whole story. We know that Solomon's brother... I'm going to just call him Addy because I don't know how to say Adadajanah and I'm going to say his name a bunch. So we're just going to call him Addy for, for short, okay? But we know that, that, that his brother tried to usurp this uh, passing of the torch and he tried to take over as king. He threw a big party. He invited all the prominent people in Israel to be a part of that. And so we remember that Addy is seeing David's deteriorating health, and so he attempts to uh, take over. Another commentator said, hey, if there was already a co-regency going on, if there was already sort of Solomon, walk with me, let me show you how to take over this kingdom. This was even a bigger punch in the gut by his brother, who was already aware that Solomon was supposed to be king, and he was trying to change that. So if you remember last week, Pastor Justin showed us sort of this swift action by Nathan the prophet and Bathsheba that prevents Addy from being ascended into the position of king. And at the end of 1 Kings, um, Solomon promised to spare his brother's life as long as he behaved himself, but eventually sinful nature and the power lust that Addy had shows his true colors and he continues to go after David's throne. We see his desire for power was so strong that he couldn't, he couldn't keep his word. He couldn't behave himself. And so we see this because we see in his statement to Bathsheba, if you look at verses two, I mean verses fifteen in our text today, you look at verse fifteen. Now we'll go back to thirteen. Then Adajanah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and she said, "Do you come peacefully?" So that tells you right there the. She already doesn't trust this cat. She already is like, are you coming to get me? And the Eddie Haskell in him comes out. And he said, I, I have something to say to you. And she said, then speak. And he said, 
you know that the kingdom was mine. And that all Israel fully expected me to reign. This is my precursor to what I'm going to say to you. However, the kingdom has turned about and become my brothers. So happy for him. I just wanted to come by and give you the thumbs up and congratulate. For it was his from the Lord. So even in, in, his, in his statement, he's acknowledging my brother is supposed to be king. God wants him to be king. His lust for being in power is so strong, he knows he's going against God, just like his older brother Absalom. And he's repeating the exact same steps as we saw last week. And now I have one request to make of you. Do not refuse me. She said to him, speak. And he says, please ask King Solomon. He will not refuse you. I'm going to ask King Solomon's mama to go get something for me because I know he won't say no to his mom. This is just sneaky. He says, please ask King Solomon. He will not refuse you to give me Abishag, the Shunammite, as my wife. Bathsheba said, very well. I will speak for you to the king. Now what he's asking is that he take his father's concubine. This is a message to the far eastern world that I'm taking over as king. I'm going to marry my predecessor's concubine. She doesn't see it. She takes it to Solomon. This can't be a bad thing. This was the woman who attended to David at his death. Maybe Bathsheba was like, fine, get her out of the house. I don't care. Uh, there's some conjecture there. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him on behalf of Addie. And the king rose to meet her and bowed. Look at the respect he has for his mom. This is the king of Israel. The most powerful man in the world at the time. And the king rose and met her and bowed down to her. Then he sat on his throne and had a seat brought for the king's mother and she sat on his right. Then she said, I have one small request to make of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, make your request, my mother, for I will not refuse you. And she said, let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Addie, your brother, as his wife. Mm. Look at what King Solomon does next. Verse 22. And King Solomon answered his mother, and why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Addie? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, and on his side are Abathar, the priest, and Joab, the son. He's saying, Mom, don't you see what he just did to you? Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God, do so to me and more also, if this word does not cost Addie his life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of David my father, and who has made me a house, as he promised, Addie shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent Benahi. And we're going to see this guy show up a lot in the story today. He must have been, he must have been a pretty, must have been a pretty bad dude, because he kills Joab and later, and we're going to see that to strike him down. When we are so rich in our sin, we will try to violate every powerful connection to get what we want. And death is the result of sin. Addie was so adamant that he was going to be king, he was trying to break up the relationship between King Solomon and his mom. 
trying to create this thing. Of course I won't refuse you, Mom. What do you want? And here's Solomon's first difficult decision to make as a leader. Do I, do I go against what my mom has asked me to do? I just told her I'd do whatever she asked me to do. Now I have, this is the man up that my dad was talking about. This was the tough decision that I was going to have to make. And I told my brother, if he messed up and stepped out of God's line, I was going to take him down. And he does. First tough decision to make as the boss. Boy, what a decision to make too. You've got to take out your older brother. So then the second threat that we see here, that Solomon, and Solomon was right to do what he had to do. As a matter of fact, Justin sort of uh, alluded to it in the reading that he read today uh, at the midway point of our service where if you do this, this will happen. And if you do this, this will happen. And Solomon so- told him at the end of uh, the first chapter last, last week, I'm not going to kill you, but you try and take the throne, you're done. You step out of line, you're done. So he follows through on his word, and it's a bit overstated, but he followed through on his word. Solomon actually showed the right amount of justice and love to Addy. And he actually does something that we're going to see later that his dad didn't do, that he should have done, that haunted him for years. As a matter of fact, David mentions it, and he's going to be the third person we're going to talk about, but uh, Solomon takes care of Addy right away. He doesn't let the sin linger because the relationship is brother He doesn't let that linger. He doesn't go back on his word. He actually shows good leadership skill here, and he does exactly what he said he was going to do. And so the second person that we see as a threat here is Abiathar, the priest, who supported Addy in his attempted succession. So, obviously word gets out that uh, Addy got killed. That probably starts making some of his supporters sweat a little bit. They're probably starting to go, whoa, let me think what he has said to me. Because he told, he told Addy if he messed up, he's going to kill him and Addy's dead. So let's, let me start going back and thinking what he has said to me. Some commentator said that it was because of this priest's loyalty to David that, that Solomon allows him to live. So Solomon doesn't kill this priest, but he sends him away. Abathar was a descendant of the priest Eli. And so his disposition as a priest, so, so, so Solomon fires him and says, you're not a priest anymore, which means his lineage is no longer a priest anymore. And this is actually a fulfillment of something that God said was going to happen. Because God told him, told his lineage that he was not going. You can read about this in, in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2 where, 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 where God is saying, uh, uh, Eli, your house is no longer going to be in the priesthood. But for decades, his household was still in the priesthood. Matthew Henry commented on this and he says, God's judgments though not executed speedily, will always be executed surely. And so this is actually, years later, Solomon is actually fulfilling what God had said to the lineage of Eli. Your lineage will no longer be in the priesthood. And Solomon fires him and says, you're you're deposed as a priest. I'm going to let you live, but you're never going to be a priest anymore. So, our decision number two had to fire a guy and, and keep the lineage of his family, basically taking away their livelihood. That's what he had to do. It's not easy to lead, by the way. Difficult decisions come in leadership, and we don't make perfect decisions. So ultimately, those who sin against God and his people, they're not going to escape. There is a judgment day coming. 
And so, though God's judgments may be slow, they are sure. So let's look at verses 28 through 46. So, we, we come to our third person in the story here. After Addie's death and, and Abathar's exile, Solomon deals with Joab. And actually, a fourth person we're going to see too, Shimea. David instructed Solomon to make sure that both were killed. And this is where I said earlier that, that David's sinfulness sort of rears its ugly head. So the actions that we see recorded here in verses 28 through 46, and I'm going to read them, is why I, would, I, I started off and I said that, that, that there is imperfect leadership that still conducts the outcome of God's perfect will. So if you'll look with me to verses uh, 28, and let me find my spot, verses 28 through 46. Uh, here we go. When the news came to Joab, for Joab had supported Addy, although he had not supported Absalom, Joab fled to the tent of the Lord and caught hold of the horns of the altar. Joab thought he was safe if he went to the altar, by the way. He fled to the tent and he held on to the horns of the altar. And when it was told to King Solomon, Joab has fled to the tent of the Lord. And behold, <coughs> He is beside the altar. Solomon sent Benahi. There's that guy again. Again, I kind of I kind of picture this guy as that guy in the all black suit with the black tie and the black shirt and the sunglasses, and he's standing next to the boss's desk, and they like take care of that. This this is this is Solomon's take care of that guy. Go strike him down. What? Solomon sent Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, saying, go strike him down. Go take care of this. So he came to the tent of the Lord and said to him, the king commands, come out. But he said, no, I will die here. Then Benaiah brought the king word again, saying, thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. And the king replied to him, do as he said. Strike him down and bury him. At the altar? We don't even put criminals to death at the alt at, at the altar. Mistake number one. Okay. Now there's there's a dual message here. Don't try and hold on to God when you don't know him. But leader, be sure that in your harshness, you don't make a mistake that will haunt you. And this is a mistake that he makes that will haunt him. And, and, and again, today we don't have time to go into that. But where he kills Joab haunts him later. So Joab, let me, let me give you a little history on why it's so important to David that because if you, any, any of you that have been spent any time in the Word, you're like, Joab, really? Joab led David's army. He was like the commander. He was the commander of the army. He was, he was the guy. You also know that Joab was the guy that got David Bathsheba. He was the guy. It's ironic that David's guy is being taken down by Solomon's guy. So the stated reason for Joab's execution was this thing. And, and you remember in verses 1-9, through nine, David mentions this. He says, hey, don't forget about Joab. Remember what he did to those two leaders of the army when we were at peace? And he says, he avenged blood during peace for, a, for blood during war. What did that mean? 
So this stated reason for this execution was this cold-blooded killing that Joab did. He murdered a, a man named Abner and a man named Amasa during David's reign. You can read about it uh, later on in, in this. Uh, they recount this. Certainly, Joab was wrong. He viciously killed these two people. And what had happened was uh, when David first began to reign, uh, Saul had a son that sort of set himself up as king of the northern tribes. And that, that man was Abner. And, and, and no, the, the commander of his army was Abner. And after losing some battles to David, after David hands himself himself a couple times, Abner realizes David's supposed to be king. And he actually says, hey, God intended for you to be king. So I come to you in peace and let's, let's establish you as king and let me get the northern tribes in line. And, and so during this time, Joab kills him. He viciously kills him. And he kills him because Joab's brother got killed in battle against this guy. So that's what David was talking about when he said he's avenging in blood in time of peace that was shed during time of war. Hey, that's a casualty of war as far as David was concerned. Your brother got killed in battle and that was a time of war. Abner came to us in peace and you murdered him. And not only did you murder him, but you murdered Amasa too, who, 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 who was responsible for your brother's death. So Joab decided that he was going to avenge his brother by assassinating Abner, even though he came to David under a peace treaty. Mistake that David made. David should have taken Joab out right then and there. Because, remember, David said, follow the law. Follow the law, leader. Follow the law. And the law said that if you took blood in peace that was shed during war, you were to die. And David didn't take Joab out when that happened. And that haunted him over the years. Now there was probably a reason. Because Joab knew about the whole Bathsheba story and retreating the men back and having Bathsheba's husband killed. And so there was all this intricate, sinful, bad decision now creating another sinful, bad decision that has taken him all the way to his death that he has to now address it and get it corrected with his son. So Joab should have been killed right then and there and David let him live. Probably because he had just reestablished his throne and he needed a strong military leader. There was a need. And legally, he should have he incurred blood guilt. He should have lost his life for that. And David should have dealt with that. And he didn't, and it was a sin that haunted him in his leadership. And that points again to the weaknesses or the imperfections of leaders, but God's perfect will still being done. Although David was a good king overall when it came to Joab, he was more concerned about Joab's effectiveness and the things Joab knew about him than he was about Joab's sin. And this is a little side note. When churches keep leaders in place because they're doing good or because they're the face of the ministry or because they're so flamboyant and, and excited and, and they're so charismatic that they keep the seats full and they keep the coffer pot full, when they keep leaders in place like that and they ignore the sins that are deteriorating that leader, Later down the road, it will eventually catch up. I know this all too well. There's always going to be a bigger issue down the road. And David kept kicking the can down the road on Joab. And now it has caught up to Joab so much that it now causes Solomon to take his life at the altar. So David's decision not to deal with Joab, right, caused Solomon to make a, de a poor decision in killing Joab in the wrong place. And then lastly, we see Shimei. Now here's, a, here, here, here's another. 
as you're reading through and you're and you're going through and I, I want to encourage all of us we're, we're going through the book of first kings we're going through the be reading this this is this is better than most novels you can buy out anywhere out on the i mean this is amazing stuff i mean you guys are glued to yellowstone you should just be glued to first kings So now we have Shimei. Solomon also followed David's request to remove this guy. Here's Solomon following through on all these things that his dad left on his front porch as he passes. This is a man that when David was on the run from Absalom, he actually ran alongside of David and cursed him and threw rocks at him. This is, <laughs> this is who this guy is. He's on the run from Absalom. You can read the story in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 16. Uh, they, they, they talk about it again in, in 1 Kings later down and a couple chapters away. Here's why this whole section catches me a little wrong. Given the Lord's support of his anointed King David and, and now the anointed King Solomon, it's altogether to me surprising that Shimei would be killed because they really sort of were disingenuine. The problem here is that David promised that he wouldn't kill Shimei. And he fulfilled that. He did not kill him. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 16 through 23. And I'm sorry I'm throwing this in on you guys. I didn't tell you about this first, but this is one of those ones I would slide out if I got to it, and I did. So y'all just listen. 2 Samuel 19. I'm going to read verses 16 through 23. And Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. This is when he realized King David is, is going to get me. I've, I've done him wrong. He, he survived the Absalom ordeal, and, and now this guy's like, oh man, I was the guy throwing rocks and cursing the king. I better run down here and, and give him my apologies. Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, with his 15 sons and his 20 servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. And he said to the king, Let not my lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart. I didn't really mean it. I didn't really mean to throw rocks at you and curse you. For your servant knows that I have sinned. Now this is really important. This is really, really important. Here's a dude that cursed David, threw rocks at him, and now he's, he's sorry. He's apologizing. He says, I know that I have sinned. This is repentance. Do not let the king take it to heart, for the servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet the Lord the king. Abishai, the son of Zeruah, answered, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this? Hey, king, David, kill this guy. Kill him. Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. But David said, what have I to do with you? That you should this day be as an adversary to me? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do you know that I am this day king over Israel? And the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. David kept the letter of that promise. He kept the absolute letter of that promise. He did not kill Shimei. But David was a little dirty in his spirit as he left off with Solomon and said, hey, don't forget about Shimei. I told him that I wouldn't kill him. It's kind of like when we do that sentence structure stuff in school and they're like, I didn't say that I was going to the store. Or I didn't say I was going to the store. 
I didn't say I was going to the store, right? The stressing of different words mean different meanings. It's almost as if David said, I am not going to kill you. But then if we revert back to verses 1 through 9, we see what he says to Solomon. He says, don't forget about Shimei. I know you'll do what you got to do. Hmm. That's kind of duplicity revealed there, right? David, are you saying kill him? or and Because you're saying don't let him go down unless he's bloody to Sheol. David kept the letter of his promise, but he passed on to Solomon the call to kill this man. This kind of duplicity revealed in Israel, despite the greatness of David, despite the greatness of Solomon, the nation needed a king more righteous than them. And this shows it right here. God's like, I'm going to actually send. Right now I'm working with imperfect kings. But I'm sending a perfect king who's not going to give sly commands. He's not going to make minor mistakes. He is perfect. He is perfect. He is Jesus. And He is from the lineage of David. So, nation of Israel, people of God, you will receive this perfect King. Today's passage concludes by telling us that the kingdom was established Period. Look at the very last verse of uh, 1 Kings chapter 2. Look at the very last verse. 1 Kings chapter 2. The very last verse, verse 46. The king commanded Benahi the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down, and he died. Now, here, this is the the killing of Shimei. Now, now, for for time's sake, Solomon says, hey, I'm not going to kill you. Just stay in Jerusalem. You leave the city, you're dead. Another one of those, if you do, then this will happen. But Shimei was a landowner. He owned a lot of land, and he had, he had to stay in Jerusalem now? He had to stay in the city now? Wait, you're confining me to this spot, but I can't then tend to my properties? He had slaves. They, they ran away. He just couldn't take it. He had to go handle his business outside the city. So Solomon actually set Shimei up like, hey, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to kind of keep my dad's promise. But if you leave the exile I put you in, you're going to die. And he, it's almost as if he knew he had to leave. It's almost as if he knew he could kill two birds with one stone. Again, these are the types of decisions that leaders make. And we are imperfect. But God's perfect will is always done. And so, right after we see this, we then see, so the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Despite all these questionable decisions, despite all of these maybe hiccups, God's Davidic throne is in place. The kingdom is established here. So today's passage concludes with us telling us that the kingdom of God is established. It's possible here, listen, only by the grace of God. Because if we were fully reliant on the absolute perfect leadership of the men that have been put in place, we would be doomed. The imperfect leadership in all of our attempts to be in the Word daily, to follow God faithfully, to make every decision according to the will of the Lord, we fall short. But God's will never, ever goes undone. And that is encouraging to us. The church today is made up of a bunch of defective, imperfect people. Not only imperfect leaders, but hello, let me stick the mirror up for a second, everybody. The church is full of a bunch of imperfect people as well. Yet, these are the ones that God has chosen to build 
his church on. Take a look at the person to your left and your right. These are the people that God has chosen to build his church. And because all of us are sinners, and all of us need God's grace, all of us have to operate in God's grace. Jesus came perfectly to fulfill on our behalf and because of the lack of perfect leadership prior, He's established as the perfect King. So that's why the New Testament authors write things like we see in Hebrews chapter 10. By a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This should give us actual encouragement that we are absolutely fully reliant on perfect King Jesus. And our key to our liberation from the tyranny of perfectionism is a perfect God who died perfectly in our place and gave us His righteousness. He took on our imperfection and sin and bore it to the cross so that we could be viewed as perfect by His Father on that day. So in God's eyes, we have been perfected by the virtues of Jesus and not by our own. So this whole passage of Scripture here just points us back to Jesus and says, look how imperfect God's people are. Look how perfect Jesus is. Look how perfect His will is. It promises us perfection, but it's imputed to us. Because He says, whom He called, He justified. Whom He justified, He glorified. The amazement of being in God's presence is going to be so amazing that our flawed, sinful bodies have to be replaced with glorified ones in order for us to be able to even fathom being in His presence. It's a free gift, and it's beautiful. So I close with this. Perhaps many of you have been in church for a long time. Many of you have sat under flawed leaders. There's been pain, there's been suffering, there's been hurt, there's been damage. One, do as God would do and forgive. Some of you need to reach down into your hearts and think back over the last 40 or 50 years and there's some people that you need to forgive. That's why God went to great lengths to expose His imperfect leadership all throughout Scripture. Abraham. What's Abraham got? Hagar. Moses. What's Moses got? The disqualifying rock incident. What about Aaron? The great high priest. Uh, Golden calf. Peter. Uh, Anybody know about the rooster crowing on that guy? I could spend the next 20 minutes rattling off more, and I'll end with this one. Dan McGann. Pastor of the Well of Nelson. Flawed leader. Perfect will. God knows our perfectionism is granted by Him. But think about it, folks. We are constantly in pursuit of being perfect. And we hold everyone else to that standard but us. So sinners who continue to sin, you imperfectly fight a fight that has already been won by a Savior who took that sin to the cross for you. Unbeliever, stop fighting a fight that you can't win. You can't. We remain utterly dependent on the grace of God. Utterly dependent on Him for growth. Utterly dependent on Him. And, and Paul, I mean, David said it to Solomon as he was dying. He said, be in the Word every day. Be in the Word every day. You're going to fall short. 
But Jesus is the perfect king. I'm going to close with Isaiah 46, 9, verses 1. Uh, Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. Hear these words, believer. Hear these words, unbeliever, and change your status today. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. God has imperfect people to complete his perfect will. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would establish in our hearts Perhaps this message today has just spurred someone to want to read the Bible more because they've missed out on these intricate stories and they, they want to see more of, of what You've done in Your Word. May we count that as a success today. That You would be glorified and someone would be pursuing You with richer intensity. Perhaps these words today have stirred the hearts of someone who has been damaged by an imperfect leader and they have been holding on to unforgiveness. I pray that you would spur the heart of your child who is redeemed and who is forgiven themselves that they would forgive. Perhaps today, your message, Lord, has spurred the heart of someone who is not yet following you as your child, who has not yet accepted your gift. They have not yet accepted the call and been justified. And I pray that they would surrender today to a God who is perfect and who even in flesh remained perfect and loved us so much that you were willing to take on our imperfection and pay the price for it in order to impute that righteousness to us. Thank You for dying sacrificially, rising victoriously. And we await Your return with bated breath. We are so in awe of You. May You transform us and may You be ultimately glorified in the results of the preaching of Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen.